Good morning, Cornerstone. That was a little weak. Good morning, Cornerstone. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. God is good. God is good all the time. God is, God is good. Amen. I'm going to be sharing with you this morning Romans 6, chapters 1 through 14. Well then, should we keep on sinning? so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin may, might not lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Amen. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Jesus Christ. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve him. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have a new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master. For you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. To God be the glory. God is good. God is good. Amen. Anytime you have to come preach after that. <clears throat> My goodness. It's, it's so cool. I was sitting down there. I was just thinking this. <clears throat> Church really isn't complex, the gathering of God's people. <clears throat> we sing songs. We open God's word. We read God's word. We explain God's word. We testify to the greatness of God. And the church has been doing this for 2,000 years. We celebrate the Lord's Supper together to remind ourselves. In other words, church is not like complex, the gathering of God's people. This is all we do. <clears throat> now, in some people, they would be like, that's it. That's all we've done. But it remembers over and over again who we're about. And we're not about ourselves. That's what we talked about last week. We're about Jesus. Amen. You no longer have to live for yourself. 
That was the greatest news. You're free from living for yourself, and now you get to live for him. And that's really what we've been talking about, is what does this look like from the book of Romans? And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain the text a little bit, then I'm going to invite uh, somebody up to, to come and just testify to the goodness of God. And so all we're going to do today is what the church has done for 2,000 years. Everybody okay with that? We're just going to kind of keep in that model. Seems like a good one. But what we've been trying to do in the book of Romans <clears throat> is a few weeks ago we talked about just the reality of this God who has come into a ruined world through the person of Jesus has rescued us. But I think one of the things that the church has lost is this idea that we were called not just in the future, but to reign right now. That's who we are. We are sons and daughters. If we have come to Christ by faith through grace, in other words, if we've come to him in that way, we're not just anybody. We are sons and daughters of the King Most High. That's who we are. We're princes and princesses of the kingdom called to join him in what he's doing. But what we've been trying to do then is to ask this question, well, well then what does it mean to reign? And so last week we talked about this idea that we do need to know, right? There's a, there's a, a way in which the head needs to be involved in this, but it's not just the head. I feel like for way too long in the church, we've made it just about the head, but it is so much more than the head. And this is where we're going to now move into it in verse 11. If you got your Bibles, you can go there and we'll, we'll explain it out. And like I said, then I'm going to have somebody come up and testify. But in verse 11 now, he moves from the head or what we know to now he's going to kind of shift over to this idea of the heart. He's going, to, he's going to go after now this idea of what does it mean to truly now engage in such a way where we, we calculate or we consider this is the word he's going to use. Now, we're just going to look at one verse today. I was going to do 11 through 14, but then this week I got a, a text message from somebody, and he's going to be down here, and so I'm like, well, cool, then we'll just do one verse today, and I didn't even know if I was going to do one verse or two verses this morning, but let's just dive into one verse this morning. Now, one of the things that happened to me a few, few years ago is my wife and I went down to Colorado Springs. to I was going to speak at a church down in the area, and so we went out for lunch that day, and we went to an Arby's. Now, we went to Arby's, man, and I had, you know, the classic roast beef. My, I don't remember what my wife had, but we were just loving life eating our Arby's. And all of a sudden, I looked over, and there was this cool little old man sitting over there, but he looked really confused. So I walked up to him, and I just asked him, I said, hey, how are you doing? Is everything okay? And he looked back at me, and he just had this bizarre look in his eye, and he goes, where am I? Now, at first, I'm like, hey, bro, we all are trying to figure out where we are, you know what I mean? It's just, everybody's trying to get this together. But then he even looked at me and he said this statement that like freaked me out when he said this. He goes, I don't even remember my name. So we sat there with him for the longest time. And if you've ever dealt with people that can't remember anymore, have memory issues, whether we're talking Alzheimer's or something else, it's one of the most heartbreaking things to watch inside of a person. So we asked him all kinds of questions like, okay, so what is your name? And eventually we kind of got a name out of him. Where do you live? Where are you, you know, what are you a part of? He just had this block in him that he couldn't remember who he really was. But let me, let me connect this to the text. What Paul is doing in the book of Romans, and if you can again just imagine Phoebe back in that day when she brought Paul's letter with her and she probably had it memorized and she stands in front of all those different churches that she was going to throughout the city of Rome she was talking to a group of people that no matter what we talk about, sin is dead. Jesus did defeat it. If you have come by faith, if you've surrendered and trusted in Jesus, if you have made your allegiance to the king, the sin that is now in your past has been broken. It was crucified with Jesus Christ. It is completely done away with, but the effects of the sin is we can get amnesia. We forget who we are. And what we need to do over and over again, though, is not just to know, that's the point, but now all of a sudden Paul's gonna say it's bigger than that. Now he's saying to us, we have to consider, this is where we're at, you have to consider who you are in Jesus Christ. Now where I wanna go today is, is we're gonna look at this, just this one verse, and we're gonna look at just this idea of what does it mean to consider before I bring up somebody to share with us. Now, this word consider that you see in there, just Paul just says this, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul's charge here is, and it's, and it's really, when you look down, it's a command, 
is probably not so much consider, but let me just throw out this word to you. It actually probably has more of the idea of, I want you to calculate something. Now, the idea of calculate here that he's talking about is, and I think this is where people sometimes struggle with this, and if you don't get this word, it's gonna be hard for you to understand. When we say this word, consider, or maybe some of your versions say reckon, we somehow have in the back of our mind that when I come to know Jesus now, I'm gonna eventually enter into this higher plane where I will no longer struggle with sin. Everything is gonna be honky-dory. I'm gonna be in this state of holiness. But let me just tell you something. Well, I long for that, and I can't wait for the day that finally we end up in new creation, and we don't wake up anymore dealing with sin, we still live in this world. And so that's not what Paul's talking about. When he talks about this idea of calculate, it was, it was a bookkeeping term. It was a term that they would use in calculating accounts, kind of working through profit loss statements. And so when you talk about the idea of calculation, what it is, is you get an answer which didn't exist before, but it's not about the answer of what didn't exist before. It is about what it is that you're calculating. In other words, if I were to have a till of money and in front of me I have stacks of cash, which if I ran a store, you know I'd have stacks of cash and I'd have mounds of coins, that is reality, but until I calculate it, I don't know what it is. Now, what he's going to do is, is he's going to come in, and I want you to gauge reality correctly. Now, this is where when I set up this person I want to talk about today, I'm going to bring up today to testify, is that I really do believe in my life there's been all kinds of men and women that have come through that have encouraged me and strengthened me to follow Jesus, but there are some people that I love that God has empowered them to gauge reality well. He said, I want you to consider true. This is what I want you to consider true. You are no longer in Adam. If you are a follower of Jesus, like I said, and you've come by grace, this power, this force that we talked about, that when Jesus Christ died and buried and rose again and grace broke into this world, and the grace that now we would never be the same, a faith that now causes me to trust and surrender and commend my allegiance to Jesus. If you've come in that way, your true reality is you are no longer in Adam. The true reality, whether we feel like it or not, or even sometimes whether or not we consider that that's the way we are, you are in Christ. You're a new creation. The old things now are gone. Behold, new is here upon us. But I feel like sometimes what we do inside of Christianity is we have this idea in our head that we are not new creations, that we're just kind of biding our time until Jesus comes back and everything's going to be good. And we miss the fact that we have been made new. And what Paul wants us to consider or reckon or calculate in an ongoing basis is, do you know who you are in Christ? He just lays it out there for them. But it's not only now this idea of that, but now he's going to cause them to calculate. Look at these two things he's going to lay out for us. That one, you're alive to God in Christ Jesus, but the other is that you are dead in sin. Here's the key about it that you need to reckon or you need to calculate. You have a new master and a new position. This is what he's going to do. Now, a few years ago, I'll never forget this. I went out with a guy who had been, a, he had been in a home and that he was renting. And in being in this home, he had a landlord that was awful. The landlord would constantly like be sending him notes, you know, about everything that they're doing wrong as far as what needed to be handled or what needed to take place. They blamed him for all kinds of things that were broken inside of the house. Whenever the guy would call up, the landlord would demean him and be condescending towards him. And in fact, this guy just told me, he said, every time I'd see my landlord pop up on my phone, I don't know if you've ever had this before, but just that idea of seeing that caused him to go into great anxiety. Finally, he got to the point where he was going to move out. He said, I got to move out. And so he knew the landlord was questionable. He knew the landlord was demanding. So when the man and his family were moving out, he tried to fix everything up as great as it could be. But the day that the landlord showed up, not only did he not get his deposit back, but the guy told him, I'm going to go after more money from you. And if I need to, I'm going to go to court. So not only did my buddy not get his deposit back, but now he's sitting there after this terrible experience wondering, what am I going to do? Finally, all things got settled. He moved into a new house to rent with a new landlord, and everything was going great. Well, a few months later, he was telling me this story about it is, is that he walked into the store, and he's walking into a store. I don't know if you've ever happened this before, but he walked around an aisle, and right in front of him was his old landlord. 
He said, instantly, anxiety just came up through me. He goes, everything in me wanted to like push my cart at him and like run away out the front door. But he said, you know, I just kept moving towards him and moving towards him. You know, I was going to acknowledge him. And he said, the closer I got, the more anxious I got. He goes, if that guy would have that day told me, where's your rent? I think I would have written him a check because I was still so afraid of this man. Now, there's a point to my story. He did not consider or calculate that man was no longer his landlord. That man is no longer his master. That home is no longer the place that he lives. He does not any longer need to live under the fear or the reality of him because he has a new landlord, a new master, and a new home. And this is what Paul is trying to get us to calculate. Your master, sin and death, has been defeated forever on the cross. You now, if you are in Christ, are fully immersed into him. And being immersed into him, you no longer are one that faces the reality of sin and specifically sin's stinger that we talk about in 1 Corinthians 15, death. Therefore, you are free from those things. But listen to me. Grace does not mean that we have a freedom to sin. It is a freedom from sin. It is a freedom to no longer live for myself. Remember, we talked about this out of 2 Corinthians 5.15 last week. Jesus Christ died that we might no longer what? Live for ourselves but for him. Paul says, I want you to calculate that. You're free. Your life is different. You now live in a position that is so contrary to where it was before. That's your new reality. Jesus is your king. He is the one who reigns over you. Grace now is the atmosphere, the power and the force that you live in. You're a completely different person. That's who you are. Now, here's his point. I want you to calculate it because I want you to live like it. I want you to live like it. Now, the way that this connects into the heart, and this is where, where I'm going to finish before I, I bring somebody up, is this. Now, let me, let me show you this out of, out of Matthew 6. Why does this connect to the heart? Jesus is preaching this incredible sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. In chapter 6, he comes to, we come to verse 19. There, he, didn't, he didn't have verses. I almost said that. Jesus comes to verse 19. He wasn't doing verses. He came this up by himself. But look at verse 19. I, just, I want you to see this. We're going to try to connect it into Paul and where he's at. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth, moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. And by the way, I take this to mean don't live for yourselves anymore. Stop it. Stop. Verse 20, instead, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in. In other words, live as God designed you to live. Live for him. Verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We'll come back to that in just a second. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? In other words, you got to be careful what you look at. Verse 24, now here's the kicker of it. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God in money. You can't have two masters. And what he's doing here is no doubt, like in this case, he's talking about God and money here. So it wasn't so much he's talking maybe about Christ and Adam like, like Paul is doing, but let me, let me see if I can connect this dot for you. We know that he talks about this. You can't serve money. Well, well, money isn't the evil thing. Like when we get to 1 Timothy 6.10, he talks about the fact that, that, that it's not so much money. It's the love of money that's issue here. It's taking a good thing that God has given us, making it the, the center of who we are, of our affections, making it my treasure. For Jesus, what it was is it was devoting and loving oneself and making it all about me. And by the way, this was the very sin of Adam. The very sin of Adam was to think that all this that God has given me is for me and missing the fact that Adam and Eve were not created for themselves, but for God. And then what he does in verse 22 and 23 is he says this amazing statement. So I want you to put your mind's eye. I want you to focus on the things that are about me and not the things that are about this world. And in verse 21, if you look at it, the kicker of verse 21 is, is if you do that where you're 
heart, where you're, now you begin to place your treasure, your heart follows after. In other words, I have to, when I talk about remember, when I talk about, it's not just the know, but I have to start making the cognizant effort that I'm going to make Jesus Christ and who he is and who I've been called to be. I'm going to make that every aspect of my treasure. I'm going to put my eye on that. And the promise of Jesus is, is if you do that, your heart will begin to follow after. God isn't just after my mind. He's after my heart. Now, with Paul, when we go back to this argument in verse 11, and I didn't keep going through the slides, I'm sorry. There we go. He was telling these people to consider, and he was calling them to put Christ, our new master, our new identity, in our mind's eye, put everything out there. He's doing the exact same thing. And he's also saying, take your eye off the old thing and put your eye on the new thing. In other words, you cannot serve two masters. You can't keep your eye on both things. Make your decision today, what are you going to do? Because we can't be chameleons and our eyes going like this. It has to be focused and his point now is the same as Jesus. If I do that, if I put my gaze on Christ, if I begin to make that the center of my affections and my position in Christ and all that I am and all that I was called to be, if I will put that out there, he said, I promise you, your heart will come behind that. And as your heart becomes, comes behind that, now all of a sudden, not only will God have my mind, but he'll start to have my heart. And here's the kicker of it. You will be the men and the women that I've called you to be, but I've got to keep those things in in front of me. And so cornerstone, as we look to be gauged in what God's called us to do, it's not that we're not supposed to have Bible studies, but sometimes last week I, I talked about the fact we have to know things, but it has to move past just knowing things. It is about the affections of our heart. We have to see Christ as beautiful as he is. And what that means is, is we can't do it just showing up here on a Sunday morning once in a while. It means I've got to be in God's word. I've got to be in prayer. I've got to be around others of God's people that call me back to it. I mean, the other day, I, I didn't mean to, but I kind of got off kilter. And when I got off kilter, my wife so graciously, after about 15 minutes of me being off kilter, she looks at me and she just goes, because we were talking about this, she goes, hey, Todd, where's your treasure? <laughs> we got to do that. And by the way, all this is is a simple concept called repentance. So before I bring up the person I'm going to bring up, let me just say this. If you've never once in your life made this decision to take your eyes off of this world and sinning for yourself and living for yourself and placing it over into the most beautiful Jesus Christ, the book of Acts calls us to repent. In other words, if you don't know Jesus Christ, today's the day. But Cornerstone... We have to be about this all the time. We have to help one another, encourage one another, strengthen one another. We need to ongoingly work through repentance over and over again because if we don't, we'll begin to get amnesia. And as we get amnesia, we'll forget what we're about. And that's why, let me just say this. I'm excited to have this person come up and share with what God has going next because like I said, there's one person in my life that I feel like has always kept his eyes and God's always allowed him to do that on the things that matter most and that's the guy that actually started this church, Francis. So I'm gonna bring him up here because I want him to share this but, but listen to me before I, before I turn it over and you, and you, you clap and you say hi to him. <laughs> listen to me. We get these moments in life to make the right decisions. I think some of you in here, like maybe in college or high school or sometime, you made this radical decision to follow Jesus. I think you were following him with all your heart. I think you were going after it. But then over time, we don't mean to, but we get spiritual amnesia. Don't leave today without repenting. Don't buy into the lie that it's something that high schoolers and college students do. We're called to live wholeheartedly for Jesus today. And if there's one thing I remember since 2002 and coming to Cornerstone, which every weekend, and some weekends I would hate him for reminding me of who I am in Christ because I really like to go live in sin sometimes. <laughs> but not while I worked here. <laughs> I just want to turn loose just for Francis to tell you what God's got going in his life next. So could you welcome him up?
Man, it, it was so good being here this morning as you guys were coming in and seeing so many faces that I've known forever. Um, I mean, it was 1994 when Lisa and I were just married and get back from our honeymoon. And I'm like, honey, I feel like God wants us to start a church. And she's like, really? You know, like, what, what are you talking about? I go, I know I've, I've, I, we never talked about this, but I, I think this is what he wants us to do. And it was just like this crazy, like, here I was 26 years old. Lisa was uh, 14. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, we had no clue what we were doing. No, no idea but God started us on this adventure. And as I'm seeing some of your faces, some of you that were there with us in 94, and man, Bob Ferguson, I thought you were old back then. <laughs> I seriously did. I thought, whoa, this guy's old and he's still here. Um, that was in 94. And uh, I, I think about just, you know, as I'm sitting there and getting so emotional over these friendships that you, you can't replace those friendships. You can't replace that time. The new relationships aren't the same, you know? And uh, just so many memories of, of having our first child, Rachel, and uh, some of you guys were there then, and now she's married and pregnant with her second and uh, married to one of my best friends, an elder at our church in San Francisco. Um, as I see that baptismal, I, I think about baptizing little Mercy, you know, as like a six-year-old who just got it. At six years old, there was just no doubt. I remember preaching here on a Saturday night uh, on Acts 2 and her, you know, just on repent, be baptized, and you'll be filled with the Spirit and she, that night, she's going, Dad, I want to repent and be baptized and be filled with the Spirit. And Lisa, I go, six years old, can she get this? I forget, she's six, seven years old. And I was like, gosh, what can, she's just sure of it. And just baptizing her that next day. And now, one of the godliest women I know, she just got married in December, married one of our pastors, godly, godly man. I mean, my two son-in-laws are like, Two of my best friends, two of the godliest young men I've ever met. I'm just blown away. We have seven kids now, been married for 26 years. Um, but I, I, I kept thinking about, you know how you just, you grow up and you just see the immaturity of the past and it tells you that you're immature now also, right? And you're just like, well, if I didn't see all these things back then, uh, there's probably still so much I don't see right now. And thinking about the amount of forgiveness that's had to take place in this church for us to maintain a, a love relationship with each other, you know? Uh, we've all done some pretty stupid things, haven't we? And uh, And I just kept thanking God for every face I saw in here that, that still loves me despite all the things I've said and done and mistakes, you know, you just go, God, every, every one of you, I'm going, God, thank you that they're still walking with you. Thank you that they still love you. And I, I guess the one thing I would say is, as much as I, I love Jesus back then, it's like, I love him so much more now I feel like I know him so much more now. And I, I'm going, God, I can't, I can't, I can't teach everything I've learned, everything Lisa and I have learned from being newlyweds to becoming grandparents. And yet the scriptures talk about, you know, as you're in Romans, Paul tells that Roman church, he goes, I just, he goes, I've just so longed to be with you that I may impart to you like the spiritual gift. Like there was something Paul longed to be there physically with the Romans to impart something spiritual. But it, it wasn't just like head knowledge. 
It wasn't like I learned a bunch of stuff and I can't wait to tell you these things so that I can impart this knowledge and get it into your head. He goes, I want to be there because I want to just physically impart something that's spiritual. You know, it's, it's like, and then that's what I've been praying, you know, all during the worship time. I'm like, God, can you just, I don't even know how you do it. I don't know how you make me fall in love with you more and more. And you've been doing this for the last 26 years, really for the last 40 years that I've been walking with the Lord. How, how you know how I get closer and closer and closer to you and I, and I get you more and I love you more. And, and I feel like that's been happening in some of your lives. I'm like, God, can I impart? that as I'm up there. Like, how do you do that Holy Spirit? It's not just intellect. It's not just knowledge. Like something can be passed forth spiritually, even right now as I'm speaking. That goes into your inner man. That's why Paul says, for this reason, I get on my knees and I pray earnestly for you. He goes, why? Because I want you to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowing It's not something I can just write on a chalkboard and explain to you. It's like he does this miracle in us that causes us to fall in love with him. You know, Lisa and I uh, moved from Simi Valley about 10 years ago. It's crazy that it's been 10 years. And uh, God has taught us so much, humbled us so much, but caused us to fall in love with him in such a deep and real way. A beautiful, beautiful church has been established in San Francisco by the grace of God. Um, we started in our living room again um, in, in, in uh, Daly City, San Francisco. And, uh, and now we just have a network of house churches. But as we start in that home, I think about some of you being in that home before we had a building as Cornerstone you know, we met over at Robin's house sometimes and uh, a few other of your homes. And it, it just, and it just kind of grew from there. And so when we started again in San Francisco, it's just all those great memories of like, here we go again, having no idea what we're doing. And um, beautiful church was established there. And the whole point was that elders would be there and then we could leave. Once you have that leadership in place, move on. And so next week, uh, we're moving our family to Hong Kong. And uh, yeah, and, uh, you know, I text Todd earlier this week and said, hey, uh, we're moving. I'd love to say goodbye. And um, I'll probably come to a service. He says, no, come to this, both services. And we want to pray for you. Uh, and they just got me so excited uh, because just like when we left here, it was terrifying in one sense and and it was the most peaceful in another way. You know, it was terrifying because we were leaving everything we knew. You were our family. You, you were everything we knew. And to move on and then start this new work and it's been great and now here we go again. And uh, and I don't know, it's, it's, uh, it's a crazy time to be moving to Hong Kong with... The riots, the virus, the government, the, it's just a crazy time, but really believe we hear God's calling. He's been doing amazing things. Just a couple of weeks ago, Lisa and I were in a country of Burma in a village that had no believers, like not a single believer. They'd never even heard of Jesus. And to have the whole village show up and to be the first person to tell them that they have a creator who made them and they're just glued listening and telling them that their creator actually loves them. And even though he's coming to judge them, that he's full of mercy and to explain to them what he did because he loved them and how he had his son die for them. And they're listening to this. And to tell them how that son rose from the dead so we didn't have to fear death anymore. 
That's crazy, you guys. You, 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 a lot of you grew up, you know, hearing Lisa singing, and she's singing in this village, you know, even though they don't understand what she's singing, you know, because it's English, you know. But as I'm sharing, and you know, and through a translator, and telling them this story, and there with my wife, I've never felt so much peace in my life. On it, that's not an exaggeration. You just go. This is what we always preached here. We have to get Jesus to those who don't know him. And this church is always supported like crazy missionaries everywhere. And we kept sending people and saying, leave, go. We've got to get the word out to these people. It's kind of like this, you know, being in San Francisco, even started a couple restaurants up there. And, and everyone in San Francisco is, you know, basically a foodie. You know, where you're just like so picky about like, you know, you're, you know, this food, that food, where you can't eat, where you shouldn't eat. And, and I'm totally wrapped up in that too. But, uh, <laughs> but last year I was in, uh, in Ethiopia and was at this IDP camp with thousands of people that were just desperate, right? And when I got there, this woman is screaming at the top of her lungs, like a horror movie, running back and forth, just in panic. And, you know, and there's thousands of people. This scream was outrageous. And then I looked down at her feet, and it's her son, who's maybe five, six years old, just skin and bones, had just died. And you just think, oh, what if I had been there a little bit sooner? What if I got here a couple days earlier? But every day that's happening. And you just see all these people, skin and bones, just trying to figure out where they're going to get their next meal. I'm telling you, and, and then I'm, I'm trying to figure out how do I get food to them? How do I figure this out? But going back to San Francisco after that, it's very hard to be a foodie when you realize people just need food, Right? And in a lot of ways in the church, we can become spiritual foodies where we start picking apart people's sermons and, and then the type of music. And we come here, well, I kind of like this guy more than that guy. I kind of like this music more than that music. Meanwhile, there are people who've never even heard the name of Jesus. They have zero spiritual food. And so I feel like in this country, there's so much. And just like it's a rush to feed someone physically who was not going to eat, it was such a rush to be telling people about Jesus who've never heard about him. And they were starving for it. And they were believing and accepting in the things that God had done it was crazy. I mean, it was in this church, probably midway through my time here, that Todd and I and some of the elders and pastors were studying about the Holy Spirit. And we're all going, we should experience a lot more than what we're experiencing right now. Like the more we studied the Spirit and, and all the pastors were in agreement, like, there should be more. And we began to pursue more. I'm telling you guys, a couple weeks ago, when I was in that village, it's the first time in my life these people who had never heard of Jesus were coming forward. I've always believed in healing. I've always tried to pray for it, but I've never seen anything happen until a few weeks ago. Everyone that came forward, I laid hands on them and prayed for And these are people who've never even heard of this. They're telling me their diseases, their ailments, and they are freaking out because I feel this burning in my back. What is that? It's the power of God. All the pain's gone. Yeah, next person. What? You guys... It was one of the greatest days of my life. It was everything Todd was talking about, 
being dead to sin and alive in Christ. Everything we taught here, remember, you know, when Christ says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You know, he talked about that oneness he had with the Father. And then in John 17, he prays for us that we would be one with them. That, that I'm not alone up here. This isn't just flesh and blood. How many times did I say that from this stage? That the Spirit of God is inside of me. And I was walking around that village believing it. That this is no different than Jesus walking around in this village. He says, I would do the very things that he did and even greater things than those. And that intimacy with Christ and the power of Christ how Paul says, I want to know Christ. I, I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to know the power of his resurrection. It was like, wow, this is it. This is it. So much joy. And so a week from Thursday, my family and I are going to be moving to Hong Kong and being closer to a lot of these unreached groups and once again, we have no idea what we're going to do. We're just moving over there, believing God's called us there. We're going to pray, ask the Spirit to lead us, and take it from there. Um, it's kind of the same way we've always lived our lives. It was 1994, you know, looking at Lisa and going, let's just try it. I don't know if a church will actually come from this. I don't know. I, you know, we won't take any money. I go, I'll wait tables if we need to, whatever. You can support us for a while. And, um, and she graciously did. And so actually I'm going to have Lisa and, uh, come forward. Is she, where is she? Is she back there? Okay. Yeah. And our four youngest of seven, our three oldest are out of the house. It's crazy that the younger ones don't even know of this place that I just gave 16 and a half years of my life to. Um, it's my son, Zeke. Uh, this is Claire. This is Silas. And that's Ellie. And uh, Lisa, you want to share anything? Yeah, you should. <laughs> uh, good morning. Yeah, I was telling the kids, do you remember, I asked Ellie, do you remember anything? She's like, mm, <laughs> a little bit. I was like, it's weird that we spent so much of our life and our time here. Um, so it's sweet to be back. But I guess I just, I don't want to say too much, but mostly just how good it is to um, follow the Lord every moment of our life to trust who he is. And um, the words of the, the song that kind of are my anthem right now, it's very simple, but you've heard it probably, trust and obey, because there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And I feel like more than ever, all I want is to obey the Lord. I just want to walk in obedience. Um, it's really the only way you can be happy in Jesus. Anytime we go our own way, Anytime we let fear or any other thing control our life, it leads to destruction and unhappiness. And yeah, so I'm just so, so happy to trust in who he is. And the scripture I felt like maybe the Lord wanted me to share this morning is from Jeremiah 9. And it says, uh, I'm going to paraphrase, but let not the wise man boast in his wisdom let not the rich man boast in his riches. Let not the strong man boast in his strength. Let him who boasts, boast only in this, that he understands and knows me. Like that is, if you don't understand and know the character of God, like who he is, if all you ever think about or all you ever look at is your own limitations, your own strengths or weaknesses, your own understandings, it's meaningless. But if you understand and know the creator, the one, the most powerful creator, living God, that's the only thing we can even boast in. That is our hope. That is our strength. That is our anchor. It's who God is, not who we are, not who they are, not who he is. It's who, who God is. 
That is what you have to go after. I have to know and understand the Lord. That is, like, has to be the goal of your life. Um, and that's what will give you power and strength and trust to obey. So, wow. yeah. Wow. I, I was thinking, you know, this morning I came here early and parked by the train tracks like I did every single Sunday morning I preached here. And... Uh, I was just thanking God um, just for knowing him and him knowing me. And I was thinking about some of you know more about me than my own children do. <laughs> right? Some of you know more about me. If you took a test on the history of Francis Chan, some of you would beat my kids by a long shot. And yet it's not about that, is it? Knowing stuff and facts about a person. It's about knowing a person and how my kids know me and I know them. And sometimes we can get caught up in just knowing facts about God. And it's like a competition who knows more things about him. But that's not what it's about, is it? It's about being known by God, like Lisa says. That is the only thing I have to boast in is Cornerstone should never have happened. With who I am as a person, my immaturity, it should never have happened. The only reason why you're here worshiping today is only thing I can boast about is knowing him. Some of you know more about him than me. Your intelligence is beyond mine. But it's about knowing him. And how the Bible talks about Joseph and how God knew him, so everything he touched prospered. And we've been married 26 years, and last year, our 25-year anniversary, Lisa looked at me at dinner and says, do you know of anyone happier than us? Like, anyone that's more blessed? She goes, I'm sure someone like that exists, I just don't know them. I haven't met them. And I'm like, honey, I feel the same way, like it's been outrageous, and then this last year has been even better. And... So we just trust, even though we're going into a time of uncertainty. It's just about us knowing God. And it thrills me to see some of your faces still walking with the Lord, knowing him, loving him, because we're getting closer and closer to the end, right? And this world is getting crazier. I promise you, Jesus Christ is real. He is alive, and we need to cling to him more than ever. Let's forgive each other, whatever we need to forgive. Let's become perfectly one as he called us to be, perfectly one with him, perfectly one with each other. That's why I praise God for Todd and was so grateful when he graciously asked, can we just pray for you guys before we leave? And um, man, I just can't think of a greater gift than to have our family of so many years to just pray for us and love us as we enter into this next journey. And this could be it for us. Um, think of that passage in Acts 20, verse 24, when Paul says, I don't count my life of any value or as precious to myself. He says, except that I could just finish this course, this ministry, this calling God's given me to preach the gospel of grace. And I really still feel that, just like I did in this room. Like, I don't care, whatever, Lord. I just want to do something with my life that matters. I want to do whatever you've called me to. And many of you prayed for us from before we were married to now. And I thank you so much for those prayers. We can't thank you enough. And the thought of seeing your faces before the Son of God one day and worshiping him there, uh, it just gets me excited. Amen. So thank you. Yeah. <clears throat> Could I have everybody just stand up? We're going we're gonna to pray together. Um, there's different ways the Bible tells us to pray. Sometimes we get on our knees. Sometimes we, there's even times that we lay down. 
But then there's times we raise our hands up to the Lord. And, and I know for some of you, the idea of raising up your hands almost feels awkward, but that's okay. I'm going to still ask you to do it anyways. And we're just going to raise hands up to the Lord as we pray for them together. So if everybody could, let's just pray together, could we? Oh, Father, just thank you for your grace and your goodness in our lives. We don't deserve it, so just thank you. Thank you for your never-ending mercy. Thanks for the way you just extend it and extend it and extend it because you're a good God. I thank you so much for rescuing us, for making us your very own, and Father, for both Francis, Lisa, for the kiddos that you've rescued. I just thank you so much that they're not just anybody. They are kids of yours. They're sons and daughters of the King Most High. They are indwelt with your Holy Spirit. And I thank you so much for the journey that you've had them on. Oh, Father, it was hard. And I, gosh, I can remember it was 10 years ago. But I do believe that right now you have a plan, you have a purpose. Would they learn what it means that some of the greatest things weren't planned, but instead these things that you have already ordained and have for them, they are so much better than anything we could come up with? Would they find joy? Would they find new life in Hong Kong? Would they, would they find purpose? Would they find meaning? Would they be reminded over and over again, nonstop, of your great love for them, your extravagant love? Father, would they know you more, love you more, follow you more? And then from it, Father, we just beg you, would you give new spiritual children, would there be new ones that love you, new ones that worship you? And so, Father, we know this is nothing we can do. It's totally of you. And so in your powerful name, through the power of your Holy Spirit, the work of Jesus, your just ordained reality, God, be powerful. Love them, but love others through them, please. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. In the name of the Father who adores you, never forget that. Never forget who your daddy is. Your dad is the King Most High. In the name of the Son who defeated sin and Satan and death, and there is nothing that can have mastery over him. And then in the name of the Holy Spirit, this week, may you go and fall in greater love with King Jesus so that we return next week. We'll love him in more and more new ways. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless you. <laughs>